Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Okay, if you can uh, open your Bibles with me at Psalm 1. We uh, can look at Psalm 1 for, for a moment. And um, I found that one of the things I struggle with most is um, converting my intentions into actions when God speaks to me from His Word. I don't know if you ever struggle with that, but uh, I sometimes struggle with that, where God speaks to me and I'm like, yes, let's go. But uh, <laughs> then when push comes to shove... And when the rubber eats the road, sometimes it doesn't always happen. And um, uh, this psalm, Psalm 1, that we're going to look at, contains, I believe, a um, sort of a, um, a missing key to converting your intentions into actions, into obedience. And um, that, that key, I believe, is meditation. So I'm going to just read the psalm for us and then uh, just say a few things about it. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that heals its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind blows uh, drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Yes, Lord, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord God, that we can just have an expectation, Lord, that, that you will, even as you have already spoken to us, Lord, that you'll continue to speak to us through your word. And we just open up our hearts, open up our ears, open up our minds, Lord, to receive from you everything that you want to say to us, Lord. Come and have your way in us, Lord, Holy Spirit. Come and do what you want to do and what you need to do, Lord. We really need you to, to work in our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just three things that I want to look at uh, from the psalm. The first one is just the nature of meditation, what meditation is. Uh, most people, when they think of meditation, you know, the connotation most modern people have is this Eastern meditation, right? Uh, where someone sits in the lotus position with their legs crossed and says, Om, and empties their mind or something like that. But that's not at all the, the idea of meditation that this psalm contains. So we're going to look at the nature of meditation. We're going to look at some of the results of meditation and then the, the focus or the key to meditation. So let's just jump in there. I want to start off by giving you a few definitions. Now, these aren't exhaustive definitions of meditation, but they might be helpful to you, so I'm going to read them. Um, one says, Meditation is to bring the truth into contact with your heart until the triune God becomes so real to you that you seek Him with all your being. Okay, so meditation is to bring the truth. So it has to do with the truth, taking the truth, but then bringing it into contact with your heart in such a way, um, in the presence of God, that it makes you want to seek Him more. 
and know Him more. Uh, to meditate is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of the Lord, ever-present and all-seeing within you. Uh, what, what I like about that uh, definition is it, it shows us uh, two things, that meditation is a, is, is a linking of our minds and our hearts, what we typically see as our minds and our hearts, although the Bible sees you know, heart as including mind. Um, but linking those two, um, what we think and what we feel, but doing so in the presence of God, ever-present and all-seeing within us. So it's, it's, it's connecting with the truth, thinking and feeling in the presence of God around His truth from Scripture. Uh, another one that's quite nice is uh, the mind must, as it were, descend into the heart and then the whole soul ascend to seek for and gaze upon the majesty of God. So th- those are just a few definitions you might find um, helpful. Uh, just a few things that this, par- this, this uh, psalm actually shows us about meditation. The first thing is that meditation is inevitable. Okay, you might not have noticed that one. I didn't notice it initially. <laughs> when, when it, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is a man who does not, and then it describes negatively, and then it says, but, it says, who does not walk uh, in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but, and then it describes positively, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And what, that, what those verses are contrasting is not meditating and not meditating. It's contrasting different, th- meditating on different things. Okay? When you walk in the counsel of the wicked, you are meditating. When you stand in the way of sinners, when you sit at the seat of scoffers, you are meditating. And it's, say, it's not saying you must start meditating. It just says, starts saying, it's saying you must delight in the law of the Lord. And on His law, you must meditate day and night. So it's saying we must meditate on something different. We must meditate on the law of the Lord. So we're already meditating. If we're walking, if we're standing, if we're sitting, metaphorically speaking, we are meditating. If we're living, in a sense, we're meditating. Okay? So turn to your neighbor and say to them, I'm a meditator. (laughs) You might not have realized it, but according to this definition... You're already meditating. You might, not just, you might not be consistently meditating on the right things, though. And that's what this uh, psalm ad- addresses. So the first thing about meditation um, is that meditation is inevitable. Um, and like I said, in both cases, whether it's <laughs> the counsel of the wicked or whether it's the law of the Lord, meditation, whether it's on the negative side or on the positive side, meditation is not emptying your mind and emptying yourself of things. It's actually filling yourself with things. Uh, well, at least this meditation. So that, in that sense, it's different from um, Eastern meditation. Then also, meditation is preparation. Um, notice that the book of Psalms contains 150 chapters, okay? It's the longest book in the, entire, in, 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 in the entire Bible. It's the praise and prayer book of the Bible, and it's the longest book in the Bible. I think that in itself tells us something, okay? <laughs> praise and prayer are quite important to the Lord. And, and all of, of the book of Psalms 
is recorded songs of praise and, 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 and songs of prayer. And yet, this very first psalm is not a prayer, a, a song, and it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a prayer. It's about meditation. And yet it was intentionally put at the very beginning of a book about prayer or containing prayers and praises. Why is that? Well, I think the answer is that meditation is the best preparation for prayer and praise. If we don't meditate on the law of the Lord, if we don't meditate on God's word, then our prayer and our praise will tend to be shallow. And if we want it to be deeper, if we want it to be more rich, if we want it to be more powerful, we need to learn to meditate on the law of the Lord. And then out of that will very naturally and organically flow the praises and the prayer that we so long for. Right? So praise is... Uh, meditation is preparation for, for praise and prayer. Then also meditation is inside out. Um, let me just read a few verses from Psalm 77. Uh, I, I just chose this one psalm because if you're going to look up the word meditate or meditates or you know any kind of equivalent, you'll find many hits in the psalms. And the psalms, especially Hebrew poetry, uh, it doesn't use meter and rhyme like English songs do. It uses mostly parallelism which just means that uh, it says the same thing in different phrases, in different words. And those different words, ways of saying the same thing, just mutually describe one another. So you get a lot of that in the Psalms, and you're welcome to go and look that up. Here's just one example from Psalm 77, from verse 3 to 12. And in verse 12 it says, I will ponder all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Okay, and So there you already have uh, a parallel description of meditation. Meditation is pondering. Okay? But let me read from verse 3 and then just see all the parallels. It says, When I remember God, I moan. Uh, when I meditate, my spirit faints. So remembering. Meditation involves remembering. You hold my eyelids open. Uh, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. Considering is another parallel for, for meditation. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Okay, so meditation is in the heart. And like I said, um, just remember, we, we as modern people are so apt to misread it because we think of the heart as just the emotions. But in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, the heart refers to the mind, the emotions, and the will. All together, sort of the control center of the human life, the, the, the whole inner man. So th that's why scriptures say, um, as a man thinketh in his heart, so easy. So your heart is what you think with, according to the Bible. So don't just hear emotions when you, when you, hear, when you, when you read the, the heart. So, and he talks about meditating in the heart. So it's, it's internal, the inner being. Um, but it says... Um, I will, let, let me remember my song in the night. So you can use songs as part of your meditation. Singing can be a wonderful way of meditating, okay, uh, to aid your meditation. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Okay, there's another parallel. It's when your spirit makes a diligent search. So searching something out, thinking about something, considering it, pondering it, um, all forms of meditation. Will the Lord spurn forever? 
and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So another thing that meditation includes is asking questions. Okay? Asking questions of your situation in the light of Scripture or asking questions of Scripture in the light of your situation. But asking questions is an important part of meditation, helping you to think and mull through um, um, an issue or Scripture. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Uh, Yes, I will remember His wonders of old. I will ponder all His work and meditate on His mighty deeds. You're starting to get a feel about what meditation involves and, and all kinds of um, parallels that it includes. But it's, it, it starts in the heart, but as we're going to see, it's inside out, and it actually inevitably flows out of the heart and becomes more. But just that inwardness of meditation is also portrayed by the metaphor that the psalm writer uses. He says, the one who meditates, who delights on the law of the Lord and meditates on his law, is like a tree planted by streams of water. Okay? And the tree that is planted um, flourishes, bears fruit, and is evergreen because the roots of the tree go into the ground along the stream and draw out the, the, the water and the nourishment from the stream. And remember, what roots are underground. You don't see them. And likewise, much of meditation is underground and you don't see it. But it's that connection, your, your meditation, the part of your devotional life that people typically don't see is what actually nourishes you, which actually sustains you, especially um, in, in hard times. So it's, it's, it's in the heart, it's in the mind, it's, it, it involves pondering, remembering, all of that kind of things. But, but the word meditation literally also means muttering, mumbling or muttering. Okay, So that pondering in the heart, that remembering eventually, ultimately and inevitably comes out in what you say and you start speaking it. And we saw even in, in the psalm that we read in Psalm 77 that, that you can even sing it. You can sing as a form of meditation. So it starts coming out of your mouth and eventually it starts manifesting in your, in your life. Um, <clears throat> so it's, uh, the inwardness, it's, it's also emotional. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates. So meditation is also a form of delighting. Whatever you delight in, you are meditating on. Okay? Whatever you delight in, you are actually meditating on. And meditation is more than just, in other words, it's more than just seeing the truth of Scripture. It's savoring it, delighting in it. You know, it, it's, it's more than... It's like, you know, you can read a textbook about honey that describes the compounds of which honey are made and describes the taste of honey. Okay, that's thinking about it. But when you taste it and you, mmm, yeah, that's good, you know. That's, then you start getting into meditation, you know. It's, it's, it's one thing being told that honey is sweet. It's another thing tasting that it's sweet. And, and with meditation, you start already tasting you get told the sweetness of it, but then you also start through the light tasting. You see it, but you also savor it through meditation. Um, 
So it's, it's sensing with the heart rather than just thinking. Um, and then, like I said, it comes out in muttering, in, it, you know, it's, it's verbal. Let me just actually read um, Joshua. Let's get my notes out of the way. Uh, let me just read Joshua 1 verse 8 because that, that is such a, a close and powerful parallel to Psalm 1. I'm sure the psalm writer had this in the background of his head when he, when he wrote the psalm. Uh, and this is after Moses had died and Joshua took over um, as the leader of Israel. It says, this book of the law, the, God says to, to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will uh, make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So just notice all the, the, the parallels. You know, it, it talks about the law of the Lord. It talks about, um, you know, it shall not depart from your mouth. You'll, you'll, you'll speak about it. Uh, it talks about doing that uh, day and night. It talks about meditating. You shall meditate on it. Um, it, it says... Um, so you shall be careful to do, do according to all that is written upon, uh, in it. And, and then your way, it talks about the ways, and it says those ways will be prosperous. Exactly like in Psalm 1. Can you see all the parallels there? So clearly um, this is a, is a powerful parallel scripture. But <clears throat> meditation, it says in verse 1, this is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. Counsel. Your counsel is what you believe, determines what you believe. So your beliefs, uh, your, your way is, is your way of living, your habits, your behavior. You're uh, sitting in the seat of scoffers. The seat is, is, is like a place where you, where you settle down, you sit, you get comfortable. It talks about belonging. So believing, behaving, and belonging all flow out of meditation and are actually part of meditation reinforcing what you believe, how you behave, and, and where you belong. So walking, sitting, uh, standing, uh, at certain ways of doing things, it shows that meditation might start in the heart, it might manifest through the mouth, but it ultimately manifests in your lifestyle, how you live. Jesus said, what the heart is full of, the, you know, overflows from the mouth. Whatever your heart is filled with inevitably comes out, not only in your mouth, but in your life. Think about it this way. I'm, I'm no gardener and I'm no farmer, but if you give me a handful of seeds, I can give you an infallible way of telling you what kind of seeds they are. I plant them and I wait to see what comes up. Because whatever comes up, Shows you what kind of seeds were planted. And it's the same, you know, whatever manifests in our life tells us what we really believe, what's really in our hearts. And much of that is put in our hearts and established in our hearts through meditation, settled, hidden in our hearts, as it were, through meditation, um, whether positive or negative. Then also, <clears throat> meditation is continual. It says day and night, and there's a so I always want to say it's, it's rhythmic, right? There's a rhythm to it, or there should be a rhythm to it. If meditation is inevitable, then we're already meditating day and night in some form or another. Um, but th th there should be a rhythm to it. Now, now listen, listen to this. You know, so often, <clears throat> let me put it this way. If, if you 
exercise for 30 minutes, six days a week, it'll mean more to you than if you exercise for three hours once a week. Now, six days a week times 30 minutes is three hours. So it's the same amount of time that you do. But I can guarantee you those six 30 minutes daily, more regularly, more rhythmically, is going to mean the person who does that is going to get twice as fit as a person who jogs for three hours once a week. I can guarantee you that. Because there's, there's a, I don't know what to call it, maybe it's a kind of a spiritual compound interest. <laughs> you know, if, if, if you take, you know, if you pay uh, like a, a hundred rand, you know, per month into an account um, every month, you know, and you get compound interest on it, you're going to get more, you're going to make more money, you're going to have more money after 20 years than if you pay in 1,200 rand at the end of each year, every year. So there's a kind of a spiritual compound interest at work here, and that's why it's supposed to be day and night. Supposed to do it regularly, okay? So I want to encourage you, you know, when when you meditate, try and find a rhythm, Try and find a rhythm of, of, of doing it. Um, meditation is also communal. Uh, it says, it talks about the congregation of the righteous. Even on the, on the wrong side, it talks about the counsel of the wicked. The way of sin is the seat of scoffers. There's a, there's a communal aspect to it. So, so that what we're doing tonight is a form of corporate communal meditation. When you go to small group, and some of you might have uh, this past week on, on Wednesday, have actually discussed Psalm 1. Read it together, uh, spoke about it, prayed about it, considered it in the presence of God, you know, thought it from your heads into your hearts, delighted in it. <laughs> and that's a form, together, that's a form of communal corporate meditation, right? Uh, meditation is not just something you do alone. Now, I just want to read you a couple of um, quotes of people who have meditated and just discussing their experience. And I, find, I think you'll find this quite helpful. Uh, the first one is George Mueller. He was a British um, a lay preacher who was most famous for heading up an orphanage. And he had, a, he had great faith. God used him to, from almost scratch, raise up an orphanage. Um, and, and often he had nothing to, to, to feed the orphans, and he had to pray, and God just provided for him. But it was a real faithful man of God. And listen to what he says. He says, the difference between my present practice and my former is this. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spent all my time until breakfast in prayer. And this was the result. I often spent even an hour on my knees before being conscious to myself of having derived any comfort or humbling of the soul and often having suffered much from wandering thoughts. Anyone relate to that? So he's saying, I, I read my Bible and then I pray, but I find my thoughts wander, you know. I scarcely ever suffer in this way now. I began to meditate on the New Testament early in the morning, searching, as it were, every verse, not for the preaching, but for obtaining food for my soul. After a few minutes, my soul had been led to confession or thanksgiving or intercession. When thus I had done for a while, I go on to the next words of the verse turning all that as I go into prayer, as the word may lead to it. It often astonishes me that I had not sooner seen this point. 
In other words, what, he, what he's saying is, previously what I used to do is, I just used to read the Bible and then pray. But now, and, and what, what happened was sometimes I spend an hour and it's just dry and I don't feel any help. And often my mind just wanders. But now what I do is, I read the Bible, but then instead of going straight into prayer, I first meditate on what I've read. And then that, that meditation naturally goes over into prayer. And I find my prayers are much more fruitful. Uh, here's another description by Richard Baxter, a Puritan uh, pastor. He says, By meditation I attend the thought of some subject spiritual and divine with a fixing, forcing, and ordering of our thoughts around it with a design to affect our hearts and souls with the matter of the things contained in it. By this I'm distinguishing it distinguishing it from the study of the word on the one hand, because there our principal purpose is to learn the truth or declare it to others. And I'm distinguishing it from prayer on the other hand, where God himself is the immediate object. But in meditation, the purpose is to affect our own hearts and minds with love, delight, and humiliation. Now, meditation is hard to describe when you're doing it, and it's hard to describe, even harder to describe the results of it, especially when the results are positive. But one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of meditation and of the results of meditation um, are, are these diary entries by Jonathan Edwards, the famous, uh, you know, he lived in the 1750s and, and was used mightily by God, um, you know, sort of in the mid, early to mid-1700s. Uh, during the first great awakening. Now, it's quite a long quote, but I think you'll really find this helpful. And it really does contain probably the best description of meditation I've ever read. His, his language is quite, you know, good. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try and, uh, yeah, anyway, I, I think it'll help you. I used to spend an abundance of time in walking alo alone in the woods and solitary places for meditation, soliloquy, uh, which is just speaking to your own heart and prayer. I very frequently used to retire into a solitary place on the banks of the Hudson River at some distance of New York City for contemplation on divine things and secret converse with God. And at many sweet hours there, I had then, uh, and at other times, the greatest delight in the Holy Scriptures of any book whatsoever. Oftentimes, in reading, every word seemed to touch my heart. I felt a harmony between something in my heart and those sweet, powerful words. I seemed often to see so much light exhibited by every sentence and such a refreshing, ravishing food communicated that I could not get along in reading. In other words, you know, I, I, I read very slowly and I made very slow progress. It was just so, you know, so nourishing, so beautiful, so rich, so intense. I used, uh, I used oftentimes to dwell long on one sentence and to see the wonders contained in it. And yet almost every sentence seemed to be filled with wonders. I found from time to time an inward sweetness that used, as it were, to carry me away in my contemplations. I experienced a calm, sweet abstraction of soul from all the concerns of this world and fixed ideas and imag uh, an imagination of being alone, sweetly conversing with Christ and wrapped up and swallowed up in God. The sense I, uh, I had of divine things would often, of a sudden as it were, kindle up a sweet burning in my heart, an ardor of my soul that I know not how to express. Uh, you're expressing it pretty well, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Once I rode out into the woods in 1737... 
Having alighted from my horse in a retired place, as my manner commonly had been, to walk for divine contemplation and prayer, I had a view that for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man, and of His wonderful, great, full, pure, and sweet grace and love, and meek and gentle condescension. This grace that appeared to me so calm and sweet appeared great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably excellent, with an excellency great enough to swallow up all thought and contemplation, which continued as near as I can tell about an hour and which kept me the bigger part of, uh, of the time in a flood of tears and weeping aloud. I had several other times had views much of the same nature, which had had the same effects. Now, now here's a person who had meditated many times and had gotten to the place where they were so sensitive to God's word, they could, as it were, plug out of this world and read scripture and meditate on it, uh, on it in such a way that they could plug into God and, and experience God. In other words, reading and pondering and meditating on God's word in God's presence. Like a sheep, you know, ruminating, chewing the cud, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, God's presence became so real to him. And that's what God wants for us. That's what we want for ourselves, for crying out loud. <laughs> Isn't it? And it's there. And meditation is an important key to it. Okay, so some of the results of meditation, uh, we've already touched on it in, in these testimonies that I read, or these quotes that I've read. But meditation leads to blessing. It's almost easy to miss that because, you know, it says in the first line, blessed is the man who, and then it says does not, and describes it negatively, but who... So blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law meditates day and night. Okay? So meditation leads to blessing, to God's blessing. Um, I mean, who of us does not want a blessed life? Okay? And one of the ways that attracts God's blessing, as it were, is meditating on his word. The, the last verse of, 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 the, of the psalm says, For the Lord watches or the Lord knows or watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish now when it says the Lord knows the way of the righteous it, it doesn't imply that he in a sense he doesn't know what's going on in, in in wicked people's lives I mean God is all-knowing there's nothing he doesn't know right has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to God <laughs> have you ever learned the truth that God never learns anything <laughs> he can't learn anything he knows everything there's nothing that he doesn't know so even What's going uh, on in the wicked's life, God knows. So when it says God knows the way of the righteous, it doesn't mean just he has information about it. He's aware of it. It means more than that. It means he watches over it. He, he, he approves of it. And one of the, uh, trans uh, there was a Jewish translation that I, that I read once that says he attends to it. He attends to the way of the righteous. In other words, the way of the righteous is blessed because it enjoys God's positive attention. Okay, and, and, and yeah, if I had to sum up what I want to sh say to you tonight, it's this. If you attend to God's word, he will attend to your way. Okay, if you attend to God's word, he will attend to your way. Your way will enjoy his positive attention and will be blessed. Amen. <clears throat> meditation also leads to life change. Remember, it talks about walking in the 
counsel of the, of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. But then in contrast to that, the one who meditates changes from that to walking in ways of righteousness in the way of the Lord. Okay, And all of us, and, and just notice there, walking, transitory, passing through, but then standing is more settled, established, and then sitting even more so. You know, you're sort of settled. You're not going to move quickly. And there's sort of a downward spiral of settling from walking to standing to sitting, of getting stuck, as it were, in certain ways of thinking and acting and places of belonging. And we all get caught up in destructive habits, don't we? And it says here one of the keys to breaking free of those destructive habits that we get bogged down in is meditating on the law of the Lord, meditating on God's Word. Um, in fact, there's a guy, um, uh, Charles Duhigg, I think, he wrote a book, and he talks about keystone habits. And, and he says keystone habits are habits that have a disproportionate effect on your life. Okay? Now think about this. If you establish this habit of meditating day and night on the law of the Lord, it means that God's going to take everything in His law and teach it to your heart and establish it in your life. And if you have this one habit mentioned in Scripture, you will eventually develop every good habit mentioned in Scripture. There's nothing from Scripture that you will not learn. You want that in your life? You want that in the life of your children? You want that in the life of the disciples that you're making? I mean, if you teach them with one thing, you've actually taught them the way to learn everything else. Very powerful. There's a saying, first you form your habits and then your habits form you, right? Meditation also leads to stability. Planted by streams of water versus the chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff doesn't have roots. It's just the, the empty husk. Um, of the grain, but the tree is planted by streams of living water, streams of water, and it, it's established, it's settled, it's rooted. Uh, it also leads to fruitfulness. Uh, the tree bears, the, the tree that's planted by streams of water bears fruit in season, whereas chaff is the part that is not fruit. In other words, chaff is not nourishing, fruit is nourishing. Okay? Now, the tree doesn't eat its own fruit, right? You ever seen a tree eat its own fruit? I haven't. <laughs> Never. Other people eat of the fruit of the tree. In other words, you'll become a kind of person that nourishes the people around you, that benefits the people around you. Chaff benefits and nourishes no one. Whereas the fruit of the tree nourishes and benefits the people around. So not only will you flourish, but the people around you will start flourishing. And being nourished if you become someone who meditates on, on the word of the Lord. Uh, meditation makes you evergreen. The leaf does not wither. Um, I, I, sorry, I, in, in Numbers, the ironic blessing in Numbers 26 verse 24 onwards, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Okay? And once again you see in parallelism, Different ways in which meditation is described. But notice you know, some of the ways. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. His, his positive attention. Give His positive attention to you. Exactly like we saw in Psalm 1. And give you peace. When the sun shines on a tree, 
how does it receive that beneficial sunshine and turn it into oxygen and you know useful food and energy and stuff through its leaves right it absorbs the, what's it green with chlor chlorophyll i always get confused between chloroform and chlorophyll <laughs> that absorbs the rays of the sun and converts it into energy and oxygen okay if the sun shone on a tree which uh, you know whose leaves had all fallen off the sunshine would benefit it nothing <laughs> okay and what this says is that meditating on the law of the lord causes you to be evergreen and which spiritually you have leaves that can absorb god's face shining upon you god's lifting up his countenance upon you and shining upon you now, there's so many people that God wants to bless and He wants to lift up His face and shine upon them, but they don't have the spiritual leaves to absorb that blessing. Meditation makes you prosperous, not in the sense, the, the shallow sense of, you know, you get everything you want, but in the sense that nothing that you do is in vain. In all that He does, He prospers. It's not so much what He does that prospers, but He prospers in all that He does. Because, I mean, you think of scriptures like God make, makes all things work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, everything that happens to you, whether good, bad, or ugly, causes you to prosper. Actually, in the end, works out for your benefit. And then it, it, meditation makes you stand. It says the, 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 the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Now, it's not just judgment in general. It's the judgment. The ultimate judgment. Whereas uh, certain people will fall in judgment, the righteous will stand in judgment. So, so those are just some of the, the results of meditation. But how does that happen? Well, if you meditate on the law of the Lord, if you read it superficially, you know, it might just seem like it's a bunch of... Bunch of instructions and commands that you should obey and you think oh, okay now i know what i'm supposed to do how i'm supposed to live now i can obey it but if you meditate on it you're going to realize the bible doesn't only tell us what to do it tells us how to do it when to do it and why to do it and the reality is as you meditate and go deep into that you realize that i can't do this Orchid was saying that at the beginning of the service i can't even when I get the what right, <laughs> I get the, the how and the why wrong sometimes, oftentimes. And then you realize, Psalm 1, verse, verse 1 says, blessed is the man who does not do all the wrong things, but who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law meditates day and night. And, you know, that man could be general and sort of whatever man, any man. But we all know from history that actually there was only one man who ultimately did not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who never stood in the way of sinners, who never sat in the seat of scoffers, but who always delighted in the law of the Lord and on his law meditated day and night. I mean, he meditated on the law of the Lord so much that if you pricked him, if you cut him, he would bleed scripture. Literally. I mean, um, when he's tempted, after 40 days and nights of eating nothing, when he's tempted, I mean, 
Any of you f- ever fasted for 40 days a night? Put up your hand. Okay, we have one. <laughs> okay, I haven't. <laughs> I, I suppose you're quite hungry after that, right? <laughs> kind of weak. But you, after 40 days and nights of fasting, he gets tempted, not by some other low skeevy demon, but by the devil himself. And what comes out? Scripture. It is written. He's sermons and his preaching is so full of Old Testament illusions, there are literally hundreds and thousands of subtle illusions and, and, and even explicit quotes to the Old Testament, to, to Scripture. It's just overflowing with it. When he's being tortured to death on the cross, I mean, when, you, when you're being really hurt, you don't have time to think and think, mm, I wonder what I should say. What would come across as very pious and... <laughs> You know, very like uh, heroic. No, whatever, if you're under that much pressure and pain, whatever's inside comes out. Well, when Jesus is being tortured to death on the cross, what comes out? Scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Into your hand I commit my spirit. And many other scriptures. He was just saturated with the scripture. More than that, it says we must meditate on the law of the Lord, on, on the word of the Lord. Who is the word of the Lord? Jesus himself is the word of the Lord. And so we might not always meditate, delight and meditate in a way and avoid sin in a way that deserves God's blessing, but Jesus did. And in him we can receive that blessing. But that's not all. It says, when it says he's like a tree planted by streams of water, Literally, in the Hebrew, it says he's like a stream, he's like a tree transplanted. Now, a tree doesn't plant itself, right? Okay. So every tree that is planted by the streams of water didn't start growing there. It was transplanted there, according to the scripture. All of us start off walking in the counsel of the wicked standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of scoffers. And then God, through His grace, transplants us next to His streams of living water where He sustains us and turns us into fruitful trees that bring glory to Him and benefit to those around us. Amen? And that's why I say meditation is a powerful and important key between our intentions and our actions. If we don't meditate on Scripture, we will always read things in Scripture and think, yes, I need to do that. I need to grow in that area. But more often than not, we'll never translate that intention into action. But if we learn to slow down and meditate on Scripture, think it into our hearts, delight in it, ponder it, consider it, diligently search it out, remember it, Mutter it, speak it, walk it. We will eventually become those fruitful trees that God intended and predestined us to be all along. It's a small change that can make a big difference in your life. Do you want that difference? God's offering it to us. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good.
For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.jobberg. I'm the one who gave you.